Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, painfully He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. had a chance to watch the news in, in the last day or so, um, it's just really tragic to see uh, the way our, our country is um, kind of tearing itself apart. Um, we look around and there's just, there's a lot of darkness, a lot of division, a lot of hate. And uh, so I thought, you know, it's appropriate this morning, I think, just to take a couple minutes, each of us just to bow our heads to pray for victims and families of, of the shootings in, in El Paso and in Dayton, and, uh, and to pray for our country. And, and let me just read Psalm 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, you know, it's just good to come here together and be reminded that Jesus is our stronghold that Jesus is the one um, that we can t take refuge in, um, that he makes sense of, of the darkness and the brokenness of this world because Jesus came into this world. He became a part of this world and he bore the wrath uh, that we deserved. And so um, just in your chairs, we're gonna just play for a minute. Uh, just take a moment to pray um, and, and lift up those things to the Lord. Rise the have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is 176 verses, and I have chosen not to read them to you this morning, but uh, would encourage you to read through it. It is a tremendous uh, a psalm to read through um, dealing with the Word of God. And so uh, that, that's kind of our topic this morning. Uh, last night, uh, I was left to fend for myself for supper. Uh, and that never really goes well. And I was uh, digging through the fridge looking, looking for leftovers, and I, I, saw, I saw some pasta in there. And I'm trying to remember. I'm like, I remember eating this. And I brought it home from somewhere, but I could not remember where. And so I'm racking my brain. I pull out my phone. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm like, ah. you know, I had, I had lunch with somebody. I met with somebody, but I cannot remember for the life of me I cannot remember where, with who, or whatever, and I'm like, well, it has to be weeks old. So I'm talking to my wife, I'm like, you know, I got this pasta, I really want to eat it, <laughs> but I'm not sure how long it's been in there, and so she helped me figure out, she wasn't there and did not eat with me, but she helped me figure out where I ate it, and it was only six days old. So uh, I chose to have that for my supper, and, and, I, and I thought about that, and I think if we sat here and we took inventory of what we ate for the last month, if, we, if I gave you a couple pieces of paper and you just started writing everything down you ate, you probably aren't going to remember everything, are you? I, I can't remember what I ate six days ago and who I ate with and all that stuff, right? I, I don't remember all that. But I do know that I ate, and we do know the importance of eating, 
and the nutritional value and the growth and the health that comes from doing that. As we think about our spiritual life and we think about the Word of God, it's a great picture because, you know what, we can read the Bible and we can read it, and I may not remember when or how or how much I read back then, but you know what, at the time, God may bring that thought to my mind. And if I'm to grow spiritually and to grow to look like Jesus and to grow in following, pursuing his kingdom and begin to do those things, you know what I have to do? I have to spend time in his word, the bread of life. I have to spend time doing that, praying and studying the word and meditating on the word and studying and things like that and reading the word. I I have to do that. And I think growth will happen. So as we think about the Word of God, that's the the picture, right? We want to develop these habits. We've been talking about training, spiritual training, and one of those things is is spending time in the Word of God. And as we do that, growth will happen. And we may not recognize, right, well, what did I read a week ago? I'm not really sure, but it's that time in the Word and studying and meditating on the Word, that growth that's so important for the vitality of our spiritual life, for growth of our spiritual life. And so we think about training. This is one of the aspects, you know, we, we've talked about some of these other things. We're going to continue in that, but this, this spiritual fitness. Uh, I, I talk to my son oftentimes about the importance of, you know, training, right? If you want to be good at anything, you got to spend time doing it. And so he enjoys basketball, and we were talking about basketball, you know, three or four weeks ago, and I said, Bud, if you, if you want to improve, you know what, you got to spend time each day working on it. And I'm, I preach often to people that if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't exist. If I pull up your calendar right now, and I, I live by my calendar, other than that supper I had, but I live by my calendar. So if it's not my calendar, it doesn't exist. And there are things from work that are in my calendar. There's, there's things from just my morning routine that are in my calendar. My son's practices are in my calendar. All those things are in my calendar. And I know that if it's not in, not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. If it's not part of my daily routine, then it's really not part of my life. And so we need to establish these habits. And I'm, I'm telling to him, uh, talking about basketball specifically. So this week, he hung a calendar right on our fridge. And here's his daily activities that, you know, Monday he's going to spend 30 minutes dribbling. Right? And so he's laid out his calendar for the week. Because if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. He's not going to do the activities. He's not going to progress in his basketball skills. And we think about our spiritual life. And, and here's the truth of it. The beliefs we have don't automatically produce changed character. The beliefs we have don't automatically produce changed character. Can we look around the world today and can we see people who may profess to know Jesus, may profess to be Christians, but yet their lives wouldn't reflect it? Would you agree we can look around and see people like that? Yeah, so they may have heard the truth. They may have spent time in church. They may have done all these things, but their beliefs have not been molded in in practicing and training. And our spiritual lives are no different than what I'm telling my son about basketball. That if you want to grow, beliefs don't automatically produce changed character. Beliefs have to be turned into character through practices and disciplines. Practices and disciplines. So I can have this belief set, this belief system, but to see change and transformation Man, that comes through practices and disciplines. Uh, 
one thing we talk about in real estate coaching, I'll meet with, with, with other agents and, and I'll talk about your mindset, that your mindset matters. And I think this is a very biblical, a biblical idea, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about such things. And we're given this, that it, it begins in our mind. And when our mindset is right, then it begins to impact our actions, which impact our results. Man, my pursuit of the kingdom is no different, right? If my mindset is right and I'm spending time in the word and I'm, I'm looking and seeing how I should live and pursue Jesus, and all of a sudden the actions are falling and the results are there, right? Which then impacts our mindset. So it all begins in that mindset. Beliefs have to be turned into character through practices and disciplines. And so today we want to talk about spending time in the Word. We want to understand the importance of spending time in the Word. And we're going to look at Psalm 119 and see kind of three big ideas of what the Word of God is. If we want the Bible to change and transform our lives, there's three things that we need to understand about Scripture that I think we see here in Psalm 119. So I'm not going to tell you all 176 verses, but if you, if you look through and read through Psalm 119, I've done this uh, before, back when I was a youth pastor, I speak at a camp and I make, a, make them a bet, I'm like, if you can find me five verses that don't talk about the Word of God out of the 176 verses, I will give you $5. One, I wanted to read it, and you know, what's better motivator than money? Uh, but if you read through and you, you study and, and you look at Psalm 176, almost every single verse is. Some people say it's anywhere from 171. Some say all the way up to 175 based, based on translation, interpretation, that speak to the Word of God. Precepts, commands, law, all of these things, your Word, all of these things representing the Word of God. And so Psalm 119 is such a great picture of someone's love for the word of God, and there's three things I think we see, and here they are. The first one is prominence, it's prominence, the second, it's power, and three, it's person. It's prominence, it's power, it's person. Three things we see in Psalm 119 about the word of God and the power to change and transform our life. So as we look at the first one, it's prominence. It's prominence. And I want to look at three ideas. Uh, and the first one is the authoritativeness. It is authoritative. Let's start in verse one. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. You're going to see this if you read Psalm 176 or throughout Scripture. You're going to see how the Word of God is talked about the law. Jesus even references it as he's talking about the Psalms sometimes. He's talking about your law, right? That this isn't some set of a maybe guidelines or suggestions like, hey, read the Bible. And, and as we look in the world today, right, people who, who from the outside looking in and they're, they're, they're reading the Bible like, oh, there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of great thoughts. There's a lot of great concepts and maybe things I can put into practice. But they don't want to take the Bible as a whole, right? Well, what Jesus tells us and what we find out here right here in Psalm 119 is this isn't suggestive, right? This is law. This is authoritative. As we read the Bible, the Bible and the ideas and, the, and what's written has authority over our lives. 
So as I'm reading through the, the, the scripture, it's not just like, hey, you know, let, let me find some daily insight and some daily tips on, on things I need to do in my life. No, this has authority over my life. As I read something, right, this is, this is a law. Uh, my, my son loved Pirates of the Caribbean. If you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, there's several movies. They made way too many. But my son went through a phase in his life where, where uh, for his birthday and for Halloween, he dressed up as Jack Sparrow, right? And he had makeup and he had the wig on and he was looking like Jack Sparrow. Well, if, if you've seen those movies, there's a point in the movie where they talk about the pirate code, right? It's the pirate code. Now, Throughout the movies, you'll see they don't really follow the code. And in fact, there are several instances where one of the characters says, well, it's less of a code and it's more guidelines, right? Because nobody's actually following this code. And for us, this is more than just guidelines. This is more than just looking at it like, oh, here's a good way in which to live my, my life. No, this is, this is authority, over my life? Do we understand the authority and the power has over my life? That's how we regard scripture. We don't regard it as, well, here's some good things and good tips and a guideline. No, it is law, and Jesus calls it that, and we see it in Psalm 119. Your word is law. It is law over our lives. So the first thing is we, we need to understand is the authority of the word of God. Right, the authority. So as we talk about prominence, the first one is authority. The second, first, the second thing we see, so we see authority. We see it is for all times. Your statutes are for all times. That's what that word means. If you look at verse 2, he says, Blessed are those who keep its statutes and seek him with all their hearts. I promise we're not going to just dig into all 176, but we are in verse 2. So blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their hearts. He talks about these statutes again. Verse 152. He says this in 152. He says, Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. They last forever. So this means that God's law, the words written, were not just for some particular time and particular culture and particular things that were going on. They were written for all time. For all time. That's freeing in a lot of ways. And, and what's important about this is, is we cannot let our cultural movement stand judgment on the word of God. The things going on in our culture, the things going on in the world around it, we can't try to take those things and fit them into the word of God. The cultural moment cannot stand judgment over the word of God. Instead, the word of God needs to stand judgment over the current culture. The culture is always changing, isn't it? Right? We look back, you can look back 100 years ago and things that your great-grandparents were doing, and you're like, man, those, they, didn't, they didn't really have a clue what was going on, right? And you know what's going to happen 75 to 100 years ago from now as they look back at us and they're going to say, can you believe they believe some of those things that they believed? Right? They're crazy. I think we think we've figured it out, right? Now that things have been going on for well over 2,000 years, now we get, we've come to a point in history where we figure we haven't. We haven't. 100 years from now, they're going to look at us and like, man, I can't believe those ideas. But the word of God is unchanging, and it's for all time. And the words that have existed for thousands of years still speak true today. 
And so as we think about our current culture and we think about the current climate out there, it's important that we don't try to fit that culture into the word of God, but let the word of God stand judgment over the current culture that we live in. That doesn't mean we stand judgment over the culture, but the word of God is true, right? The word of God is unchanging. It is for all times. So we need to understand the word of God has authority over us. The word of God was written for all times. And the last thing is we think about the prominence of Scripture as authority and it's for all times, that it's in every part. Here's what I mean by that. Listen to verse uh, 151. He says, yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. uh, 160 says, all your words are true. All your words are true. Not just part, not just we take the part that we like. We see this often, right? People will take the parts of Scripture that they like and yet throw the rest out. Listen listen to the words of Jesus. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 17 to 18. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. Jesus speaking here, the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until all is accomplished. If you look at uh, the, the actual language there, it, it says, do not think that I have come to loosen the law of the prophets. Uh, I'm not going to loosen one jot or one tittle. One jot was the smallest Hebrew letter. And a tittle was part of a letter. And so when Jesus says, and he comes here, hey, I'm not going to change one letter of the law. In fact, I'm not going to change even one little stroke of the pen, one little piece of the letter of the law. And so Jesus comes, he says, I'm coming to fulfill it, right? But I'm not coming to abolish. I'm not coming to get rid of it. I'm not coming to change even the least bit of it. Every part Right, It has authority over us. It's for all time, but every part is true. Every part is still for us. Every part has some sort of, uh, of relevance for our, our, our lives. And this is unpalatable for today, today's day and age to look at some of the Scripture. Right, You look, think about the culture and the world in which we live in, and they look at some of what Scripture says and like, I, I can't believe it. I, I can't accept that, right? Because it, if this is really what the Bible says, then I, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, I, we, we live in a, in a I, don't, I don't know that it's, maybe it's not more, um, doesn't happen more often than it's happened in the past, but you see even spiritual leaders in the world today, people who have had significance uh, and, and influence for the, for the gospel and have turned their backs on it. And it's nothing new, you know, we, we know what's happened in the past, but I, I've seen it even more prevalent. And I was talking to a buddy uh, this week, it was Monday, the day after I had that, uh, or two days after I had that pasta. And it's Monday, and I'm talking to him, and, uh, you know, I was telling him a little bit uh, about, you know, what I was going to speak on Sunday, and he says, you know, I had a buddy, I went to Bible college with him. And he was on fire. He was going on for the Lord, and he went on a missions trip, and he came back from the mission trip, and he's all fired up. And, you know, a few years later, there was an idea in the Bible that he just could not get his head around. That 
he, he said to me, he says, you know, if, if this part of the Bible is true, I just don't know. I just don't know. And here's the truth. is like all parts, for all time, every letter, every stroke of the Bible is true. And so when we try to take bits and pieces and try to fit it into our own agenda, man, the whole thing falls apart. I saw this week Joshua Harris, and he was a guy, man, I used to li- love to listen to Joshua Harris preach. He wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and you know, I think it was maybe a week ago or sometime this week where he said, no longer a Christian. Divorced his wife, no longer a Christian. And then he went on to say some other things that, that maybe uh, have to do with the culture today. And I began to think about even this idea, right? We try to fit things in, and, and we try to fit things into our own belief system, and they, they contradict what the Bible says, the whole thing falls apart. And that's where we got to let the Bible, the Word of God, sit on judgment on the current culture and not the other way around. Or it's all going to fall apart, and our whole belief system falls apart. And you see guys like Joshua Harris or Rob Bell or guys like that who, man, at one time I, I heard him preach, and I'm like, man, that guy can preach. That guy knows the Word of God, and yet today don't want anything to do with it. The word of God has authority, is for all times and every part. It's the prominence of scripture. So that's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we see is its power. We see its prominence in our life, but we can also see its power in our life. The reality is until we, we see that first part, until we understand the authority and that it's for all time, and all these things. Until we truly understand that, then we can't truly understand the power it can have in our lives, right? So when we understand it's got authority on our lives, when we understand it's not changing and it's for all time, and every part is true, then it can begin to change and transform our soul. It can change and transform our, our heart. We can begin to, to tap in to this power that exists. Listen to verse 45, 119. Psalm 119, verse 45 says this. Now, I think there's two things that happen. As we talk about its power, we're going to experience freedom when we experience its power, and we're going to experience forgiveness uh, with it and intimacy with God. 45 says this, I will walk about in freedom. I will walk about in freedom, but here's the reason why. For I have sought out your precepts. There is freedom. When we understand the authority, when we understand it's for all time, every part, when we understand the prominence of Scripture in our life, we'll walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. And this is, I think, at least from the world perspective, it's totally against what the world would believe, right? Because you look at the Scripture and you say, man, that's... (laughs) that's a little too much to handle. There doesn't seem like there's a lot of freedom. I got to live a certain way. I got to do certain things. I got to be a certain person, all these things. But when we truly understand the scripture, we truly understand the word of God, there is freedom in the pursuit of his word. And the more I submit to him, the more free that I get. Submission to the authority of the word of God is also very culturally freeing, right? Right? I mean, it is a battle. Right now, as we think about following Jesus in the culture that, we're, that we live in, man, it can be a burden. But when we understand that the authority of Scripture, when we understand the power of Scripture, it can begin to free us. 
that we understand this text has been around for centuries. I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the way that they thought maybe 100 years ago might be different than the way they're going to think 100 years from now, but the word of God is unchanging. It frees us from the culture that we live in, but it also frees us from sin. Listen to verses 133 and uh, 134. Psalm 119, 133 says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression that I may obey your precepts. So there's freedom from the culture in which we live in, but there's also freedom from sin that we can experience. He says it right there, redeem me from this human oppression, so may I obey your concepts. Free me, that let no sin rule over me. Uh, here's the reality. If God's word is not ruling over you, and your highest authority, then something else is importance, uh, listen to this quote. This is uh, from Simone uh, Wee. And she says, uh, one has only the importance between God and idolatry. One has only the choice between God and idolatry. There is no other possibility. For the faculty of worship is in us and either, either is directed somewhere into the world or into another. Well, what does this quote mean? Simply, li- listen, either the authority of God, either we worship God or we worship someone else or something else because that exists in that's how we were created. We were created to worship. And so our choice is either the word of God has authority in our life and we worship him or we worship something else. Like you are worshiping something. And so either it's him or it's something else. There is no other option. That's what that quote is saying. There, there's no in-between. It's either God or something else. And so the question for us, and especially as we talk about these spiritual training, is what, what is of most importance in my life? What has authority in my life? What has prominence in my life? Is it God and his word and his ways? Or is it something else? i got to ask myself this question every single day. And what's priority? Right? Show me your calendar. I'll tell you what's priority in your life. If you show me your calendar, you show me your daily routine, I will tell you exactly what is prominent and most important in your life. And those can be good things, can't they? They can be family, they can be work, they can be other activities. None of those things are bad, but when they take prominence and the first most important in my life, then they are. Prominent. One has only the choice between God and idolatry. There is no other possibility. For the faculty of worship is in us, and is either directed somewhere into this world or into another. So as we think about the power of the word of God, it frees us. It frees us from this culture, it frees us from sin, and it frees us to follow and pursue him. Its power also brings about intimacy with God. And once we understand the authority of the word of God, it frees you for intimacy with him. You know, here's the, here's the deal. Like, this isn't some instruction book, and I think when we view it that way, and we study it that way, and we're like, hey, here's a list of things we, there's not much, a whole lot of intimacy in that, is there? We list, okay, I need to do this, this, and this, and yet, God, this is, this is God's word. I mean, his, his very words. This is meant 
to be intimacy. I, I remember when my wife and I were dating, I've shared this story before, how I wrote her letters for months and she never wrote me back and you know, I kept pursuing her and pursuing her and eventually she wrote me back. So, so once she finally wrote me back, you know what, I'd get this letter and what would I do? I would pour over the words and I would read it more than once because it was her words to me. It was a love letter. It's just not a list of like, hey, here's what I did today. What are you going to do today? I mean, it was, I absorbed these words. And that's what the word of God is. It's, it's, it's a relationship. It's intimacy. And these are the spoken words of God into our life, right? And so we won't want to treat it just like a to-do list, but man, that this, this is a love letter written to us. And it frees us for intimacy. What I love about reading through the Psalms is you see that. You see that, man, this is, this isn't, these are people who have a relationship with God. And sometimes they're like, God, where are you at? Sometimes they're questioning God. Sometimes they're pouring out their love and adoration and worship towards God. And sometimes they're, they're looking for him and searching for him. Because that's what, that's what true relationship is sometimes, right? And so I love reading through the Psalms because you, you see people in true relationship with God the good, the bad, the hurts, all of that as they search for this relationship. There's weeping and arguing and there's give and take because why? It's, it's a relationship. And it's not personal if the person can't talk back to you. It's also not pers- personal if the person cannot cross your will. It's also not person- personal if you are in complete control. If you are in a relationship and you have total control with all the independence you could ever want and do exactly what you want, what kind of relationship is that? I'll ask your spouse, right? That's not a true relationship. If you do everything you want, have total independence, that's a relationship with a robot. And so as many people approach Scripture and approach the Word of God, that's how they want to approach it, right? They want it to say what they want to hear, Instead of listening, right, the authority of the Word of God, have power over their lives, and accepting and listening to it, because if you read the Word of God, it will cross your will, right? If you read the Word of God, you lose your independence. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. There's no independence in that, right? Yet many people want to read it and understand it and say, okay, what can I get from it? Let me read it in the view of my worldview and my culture, Instead of reading and understanding, man, this has authority and power in my life. It's not a personal relationship unless it does those things, unless it crosses your will, unless it challenges your independence, unless you are not in complete control. That's not a real relationship. So if you don't accept the parts of the Bible because they are offensive or you don't like them, Man, you cannot experience that intimacy. You cannot experience that personal relationship with God because the Bible is written, man, it, parts are hard. Parts should offend, sh- parts should challenge my way of thinking and my way of doing and how I live my life. They do, they should. That's how it's written. It's what God desires from us. And yet we see this personal relationship in the Psalms. We see it. We see it lived out. We see their passion, their joy, their hurts, their struggles. We see all that because it's a personal relationship. So we see that it, uh, it's prominence in our life, it's power in our life, and the last thing we want to see, it's person. So there's a problem 
If you're a commentator and you're reading through Psalm 119 and you start looking at it, there's kind of a problem with the psalmist attitude of the Bible. Because it's almost over the top and sometimes almost inappropriate, the love they have for the Bible. In fact, if you read through Psalm 119, most would say, man, he idolizes the Bible. By the time you're done reading, you say, man, this, this guy idolizes the Bible. Listen to some of these verses. Uh, verse 24 says this, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. My delight, my counselors. Verse 48 says, I reach out for your commands, which I love. And the, the literal translation is, I, I, I raise my hands uh, that I might meditate on your decrees. And you know what this is? This is worship, Right? The act of raising hands is an act of worship. And this psalmist is saying, I raise my hands, I, I worship, I worship. He's worshiping the word of God. Uh, listen to verse 37. 37 says, I turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Literal translation here. The word according means through. Preserve means save. And it's actually stated several times through Psalm 119. So what he's actually saying is, save me through your word. He's worshiping in the word. The word is his counselor. He makes these statements that he's saved through your word. And so it it seems inappropriate that I would call (laughs) a text, the Bible, wonderful counselor, savior, an object of worship. But they're more than just words, right? They're more than just words. And I think the psalmist understood something then that we can see now. John 1, verse 1 and verse 14 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh in the person of Jesus. And so you, you see what Psalm, here in Psalm 119, what the psalmist is saying, right? You're my Savior. You're my counselor. And we get this picture that, like, that's Jesus. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the Savior. And because Jesus is God's Word. So why is that? How, how is that? You think about how people express themselves. How do we express ourselves? We express ourselves with words. Right? Many times we, we need to express ourselves uh, with, with words, whether they be spoken or written. We let people outside know our thoughts. Now, not all of them, right? So we don't think they know we're crazy. But we're going to let them know our thoughts. By speaking, by writing, we're going to let them know our thoughts. Well, God has perfectly expressed himself in two ways. God's word was completely efficient, Right? 
right here. It has authority over life. It's for all time, every part of it. It has power in our life, power to transform us, to change us. We see we'd have no more sin, freedom from sin, freedom from the culture, intimacy with God because of his word, his spoken word. God's text was completely sufficient to express who he is to the world and what he wants to do in the world. But God's word not only needed to come in the form of text, but it also needed to come in the form of the flesh. Remember what I said earlier? Like a real relationship, a real relationship is not like a robot. A real relationship, your, your will is going to be crossed. You're going to lose your independence, right? You're going to lose all those things. A real relationship, right? I mean, you think about marriage. If you've been married before, I remember my first year of marriage was awful. I hated it. Well, not really. I, I, I love my wife. She's not in here, so I'll say these things. But, like, if I think about my 17 years of marriage, I can truly say that, like, each year was better. But what happened in that first year? Our wills were crossed. Like, the independence was lost. We were, doing, we were in a relationship and experiencing things that we hadn't, right? I couldn't just go and do whatever I wanted to do. You know, I, like, I had to ask what she thought about the situation. What a novel idea. She didn't understand what sarcasm was in our first year of marriage, and so she didn't appreciate me as much as she does now. But, but right there, there was two people coming together, a real relationship. You cross each other's wills. You lose your independence. And, and, and that happened. Now, that relationship has grown and developed over time. But the same is true with Jesus, right? A real relationship is not just that our will was crossed, not just that I lost my independence, but think about the cross, Think about Jesus on the cross. Think about Jesus in the garden. In the garden, he says, I don't want to do this. He says, not my will, but your will. Right? Not my will, but your will. His will was crossed. You don't lose any more dependence in your independence than going to the cross, can you? As you hang there, where'd the cross go? Is it gone? And throw me off. It's up there somewhere. There it is. No more independence was lost than what Jesus lost on the cross. And you think about this picture. Right? God has given his spoken word, but more was needed. Word became flesh in the man of Jesus. And you cannot lose control in a relationship more than being nailed to a tree. He did that so we could have a relationship with him, so we could know him, that we could understand, that he could be, right? We can worship him, that he could be our savior, our counselor, could be all of those things that the psalmist is talking about. What an amazing thing. We're going to take the bread and the juice, and we're going to remember this, right? We, we can see now what the psalmist maybe had some sort of intuition maybe was coming. We can see it. Because we have the full and complete word of God and we can see that Jesus came and the word became flesh and he came to fulfill the law. Right? Not, not abolish it, to fulfill it. Every last stroke, every last letter, every dot, every tittle, every part of it, he came to fulfill. The man of Jesus. So as we think about spiritual disciplines, understand the power of the word of God. Understand the authority it has over our life. That it's for all time. That it sits in judgment over the culture in which we live. And this is 
our authority. It has the, the, the power to transform our life. It has the power to bring intimacy with God in our life. Jesus came in person. The Word became flesh. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Word. God, we want to be people who understand this is, this is a letter not for a list of things that we need to do and accomplish, but it's a letter that you tell us how much you love us how much you've, you've done for us, even in the person of Jesus. God, how we should live our lives in reflection of what you've done for us. And God, we want to be motivated by that. We want to be motivated by all that you've done for us, all the grace and mercy and love you've poured out upon us. And God, we want to take a moment and we want to remember Jesus. The word became flesh, full of grace and truth. Thank you. God, thank you for your word, your written word. God, thank you for your son. The word became flesh. God, we want to worship and remember him this morning. We thank you for the bread and remember his body that was broken. And we, we thank you for the juice and, and thank you for his blood that was shed to cover our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.